Thank you so much, Megan. Well, let me uh, take an opportunity here to be another person to welcome you to Redeemer. My name is Ben. I am the assistant pastor here at Redeemer, and we are thrilled that you would join with us as we try to imagine what God is doing in our lives as he changes us, as he changes his world, as he brings hope and healing into the dark places of our souls and into the dark corners of our city. I invite you to pray with me before and we'll dive in here to this particular text. Father, we pray that you would make yourself known this morning. God, that we would not conceive of you uh, according to our tradition, that we would not conceive of you according to our hunches, that we would not conceive of you uh, according to the way that we think about the world, but that you would uh, allow us to see who you really are, to see what really motivates you, to see what really drives your care and your compassion for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you noticed the header on that uh, last song we sang. It was Psalm 130. So it was uh, a, a guy by the name of Martin Luther who lived a few hundred years ago. And it was kind of his processing through this, this psalm, this text that we find here uh, in our Song of Ascents. But it starts with this, you know, the depths of woe is not exactly a, a way that we phrase our lives very often, right? That's a, it's a pretty heavy place to start. And I don't know, it, it's an interesting word picture though, isn't it? I don't know if you can picture yourself a time in your life when you were physically in the depths, right? Physically in a place where you felt like you could not get out, right? The, the, the Hebrew word there pictures this sea that you're, you know, you're drowning in, or, or, or maybe a pit that you can't climb out of. But I remember a time when I was in such a pit. I was probably 17. The corn in the fields of Illinois was about yay high, right? And I was uh, in a pit, or actually a ditch, and it wasn't exactly a ditch I couldn't walk out of. The problem was is that I couldn't quite figure out how to get my uncle's Jeep out of that ditch. That Jeep that I borrowed from my uncle seemed to have found its way into this ditch that uh, when I was standing next to the Jeep, the, the floorboard was like looking me in the eye. You know, the floorboard that's like supposed to be down here. You can see there was a little problem. And right, I thought I was... Uh, invincible in my youth, and I thought my uncle's Jeep was invincible in its capacity to get through uh, this drainage ditch, and I found out neither of those things was the case. In fact, I'd somehow managed to work my, uh, the vehicle in such a way that only two, two tires were in contact with the ground on either side. I could, uh, I could stand there and lift one corner, and it would just swing on, on the opposing wheels. It was in the depths, and I didn't know how to go out. But I wasn't just physically in the depths. I was emotionally in the depths. You see, I had 
spent quite uh, uh, my entire childhood, my entire adolescence trying to build this portrait of myself, particularly in front of the adults who are in my life, that I was somebody who was competent, that I was somebody that was diligent and hardworking, that I was responsible, that I was resourceful, that I was respectable, that I was the, the teen who could be trusted. And so when I sat there in the ditch with my friend and I realized that I in no way could hide this misdeed of mine, that there was no way that I could hide the utter foolishness and stupidity, I unleashed a, a series of obscenities uh, that would put, you know, Ralphie from Christmas Story, put his father to shame uh, because my identity was gone. Because I knew that uh, not just that I would be have some, I would have to admit my failure, but that that failure was directly attributable to me. It was a depth of my own making. And that seems to be the kind of scenario that the psalmist, when he or she writes this song for the people of God to sing together, they picture a moment in life that's not just any casual depths of woe, right? It's not just a, 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 a neither a casual depths nor is it one that's just purely circumstantial. This is the kind of, of depths that comes when you've messed up, when you've failed, when you've let others down and you know it was you. Right? It's the kind of depth that, uh, that feels like it's drowning you out and you have nowhere to go. It's a kind of depth when your best friend finds out what you said about him or her and your unfaithfulness has been known and you have no idea how to repair that relationship. It's a kind of depth when, you, uh, when your sweet little baby grows up and, and becomes the kind of kid who drives Jeeps into ditches, and you realize that neither nature nor nurture bails you out of this one, right? You, they got it from you. It happens when we uh, are become so entitled to material uh, riches and, and blessings that we spend and we spend and we spend and we spend ourselves into a place of crushing debt. But it's also the place where you may have had a week like I did. A week when you just feel like the good things that you were supposed to do and you haven't gotten done has brought an anxiety upon your life that just eats away at you slowly. It's a pit that you don't know how to get yourself out of. The psalmist wrote this for those of us who are in such a place whether you're there this morning or whether you'll be there soon. But the good news is, is that it isn't just a song about being in the pit. It's a song of ascent. It's a song of going from the pit of despair to a place of wholeness. And so we want to ask this uh, ancient friend of ours, how is it that you made such a movement? How is it that you got from the place, the helpless place where you were, to a place of confidence, to a place of healing, to a place of redemption. And so I want us this morning to take a moment to examine three movements that happen in the, that appear to be happening in the heart of, of the man or woman who wrote this psalm for us. 
three movements that seem to to have given them the ability to, to, to see their perspective, to see their situation anew. Three movements that, if we're honest, our hearts fight like heck to avoid making. And so the first, you can see it right in the first sentence of this, is the psalmist goes from these depths of woe to a cry for mercy. Like when you read it on paper, it makes so much sense. Out of depths, I cried to you, O Lord. Of course, when you're in the depths, you cry for help, but maybe we don't. Maybe your heart is like mine and will resist being known as somebody who messed up at all costs. It's where I was that night when I sat off Route 89 in the fields of Metamora through some unnamed street that cut through the cornfields in that ditch. I sat there, and, and immediately upon finding my way in, into the ditch, I immediately began to get myself out, right? And so I try, you know, throwing it into the first, throwing it into reverse, throwing it into first, throwing it into reverse, trying to to rock my way out of this, hoping that the tires would grab traction. But of course, I just dug myself farther and farther into the hole. I tried throwing it into, uh, in, in Jeeps, you have these, this four-wheel drive regular, and then you have four-wheel drive low, and this is your superpower, right? This is for sure going to get me out of the ditch and it just dug me farther and farther. In, far, in fact, I was trying to get out, and, the, and I felt the, the vehicle drop, like into a, it turned and, and, and shifted down and was going nowhere. It's kind of like what happens when our hearts try to find their own way out. And so then I thought, well, okay, I'm not getting out of this. I need some help. I need some help, but um, I'm not going to call any adults right? I don't want to be publicly known. I'm going to call friends who will keep this secret um, predominantly from my parents, right? People who I could trust to keep my misdeed hidden. And so I start calling all my friends in my cell phone. Of course, this was back like when cell phones were a pretty new phenomenon, so there was like three numbers in there, right? And I got nowhere. And so I pull out the old school directory. Those of you who are a little Younger, this is kind of like your contacts app, okay? But it is, uh, you know, it was like every kid in school with their home phone number next to it. And I grew up in a kind of a farming community. So there's lots of people with big trucks and chains that I thought, or tractors that I thought, maybe one of them will come give me the boost, just a little boost I need to get out of, of this ditch. And so I start calling everyone I know, you know, friends and acquaintances, teammates, that guy I did sat in shop project next to once, right? The, that dude, I think that's the dude who has a locker three doors down from me, right? I start calling everyone I know, and, and I keep getting uh, angry parents who are frustrated I'm calling their home phone, right? I'm, I'm getting kids who are asleep. I'm getting kids who are out for the night. I'm getting uh, cell phones where uh, they're a little bit inebriated and not quite in a position to help. And the places that I went to for help were not places I could find help at all. So much of our life 
whether we're sitting in the anxiety of failure or whether we are watching the end of a relationship, we start spinning wheels of how to, to explain it away, how to dis, not take ownership for the things that we have done, how to keep it hidden from the, the, the people who we think will judge us the most. And so we gather around ourselves people who will tell us that we're, it isn't our fault, that, it's, uh, that, that, that we're really okay, or, or friends that make false promises. I'll be there in a minute when, in fact, they won't. And so I sat there that night watching the clock because that midnight curfew was coming. Also, cell phones in 2003 or whatever did not have great battery life. And so the clock kept ticking towards midnight, and my phone battery kept ticking towards zero. And I began to come to the realization there was one more number I could call. There was one more number I could call, and I knew by my relationship that this is a number of somebody who would answer. And I knew by their character and who they were and my relationship to them that they would come and remove me from the depths of the ditch. I knew that they would drop everything, that there is nothing that would hinder them from coming to my aid. I knew that my father's entire relationship with me had done nothing but prove the fact that he would hear my cry for mercy. The psalmist knows somebody who will answer his phone call. Out of depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Not out of depths, I cry to uh, my inner self. Not out of depths, I cry to um, a, a group of people who will accept me as I am. But out of depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. He knows that God will answer the call because of this. And this is the secret to the movement. We resist this movement from going from the depths of woe to a cry for mercy because we don't want to own our sin. But if we knew what the psalmist knows, if we knew the secret that the psalmist is keeping, then we would follow along with him because he knows who God is. With you, in verse 4, there is forgiveness. With you, O God, there is forgiveness, not just sometimes, not just occasionally. But you, God, of all the identities that you could have, all the attributes that we could uh, align with you, you are a God who gives forgiveness to the people who have screwed up. You are the God who gives kindness to those who need it. It's who he is. It's part of his character. He cannot not redeem his children. He can't stop. It's who God has made himself to be. It's the way he's made himself known to us is that he is a God. That no matter what depth or what ditch or what ocean we have thrown ourselves in, who is known as the God who gives forgiveness. So if we know who God is if we know his character, if we know him as he has shown himself to be, we will not think of him in the last minute, but we will call him first. But there's a second movement of this person's heart. It's not just 
from the depths of woe to a cry, but it's from a cry of mercy to an abiding hope, an abiding hope. You see, I made that call to my father, and I don't remember much of the conversation, but I remember it being awfully short. Dad, I think this is the street I'm on. Look to the left. As you go down, there's this cornfield with a ravine. I'm in there. I remember his words as, I'll be there. I'll be there. Which in hindsight, you know, initially brings you a great sense of relief. Okay, finally, I'm going to get out of these depths. But then it starts to bring in this inner panic. Because, you see, I knew who my father was, and I knew he would come to my help. But I also knew him to be the one who I wanted to hide my sin from the most. I knew him to be the one that uh, would be most likely to be disappointed in my failure. It was him above anyone else whose trust I had betrayed when I chose to do what he told me not to do with that jeep. And so immediately upon uh, him answering the call and hanging up, I began this weight of partial terror of when I would see him face to face, not because of his anger or his propensity towards anger, but because of my insecurities, because of my fear that he would reject me. But what's interesting is how different the psalmist seems to be after he's called on the Lord. How different he is when he's called and confessed to God, I've screwed up and I need you to come bail me. How different his response is when he's hung up the phone. Verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. It's almost like he's excited for God to show up. Instead of fearing seeing God face to face, he's excited. He's anticipating. In his word, I hope. In his promise that he'll show up, that's the thing that's going to pull me through. My soul waits for the Lord more than a watchman waits for the morning. I don't know when the last time you stayed awake all night. Some of you, it was probably to a, a screaming baby. Some of you, it was to a term paper or a final exam that had snuck up on you. Some of you, maybe the anxieties of insomnia that has plagued you and kept you from sleep. But if you've been awake in the wee hours of the morning, you know the anticipation that light would come into the, into the midst that the torture of laying there unable to sleep or the torture of staring at a computer screen unable to break away would be over, that there would be relief that would come at the end. And so the psalmist talks to God and says, God, I have be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. God, I'm waiting on you. It's so very different from the way that many of us conceive of God. Many of us, when we conceive of God, is, is that God, when we come to him with the shambles and the broken pieces of our life, is that God deals with us because he has to, right? It's a contract. He has to show up. He has to do his part of the bargain. Or we think, God, I've, I've found myself in a ditch yet again. You've, you've answered this call hundreds of times. Won't you get tired? 
Won't you get weary of coming to our aid? We think of God and we think, I'll kind of tell him the truth because I don't want him to know the whole deepest and darkness of my soul because he might push me out. There may no longer be a place for me at his table. But what we get wrong and what the psalmist gets right, the reason we can't move from the cry for mercy to, to a feeling of hope and of peace is because he knows who God is. He knows whose word he hopes in. It's the one who in verse 7 tells us, there is, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. Notice again, he's not saying there might be redemption available, maybe kind of, sort of. He's not saying there's love, but if you push the limits too far, then you're going to get kicked out. He's saying that God, by his very nature, by his very being, is a God who is steadfast in his love. Not a love that's temporary, not a love that's on certain occasions, but a love that is persistent, consistent, because it's who God is, a God of love. He offers a plentiful redemption, not a redemption that's if you're in the, in the 50, upper 50% category. It's not a redemption of if it's not too messy. It's not a redemption that's limited in its scope or in its frequency. It is not a redemption that is stingily given. It's a redemption for those who abide in the darkest corners of our city, and it's a redemption that's for the darkest corners of our hearts. It's a, it's a, it's a redemption for our biggest screw-ups. So the psalmist can make the move from the depths of woe to a cry for mercy because of who God is, a God who forgives. And he can make the movement from a cry of mercy, the anxiety of a cry for mercy, to the peace of an abiding hope that God will finish what he started. But there's a third movement, and it's the third movement that I don't want us to miss here. If you look in your bulletins or, or look at the verses, the first six verses are all this, the songwriter telling us about their story. A little bit abstracted, but one particular incident, one, one person whose um, story of their life has found God to be a redeemer. But then in the last two verses, it switches. It goes from a singular to a plural. One person to, O Israel, the whole nation, the entire people of God. And that's the third movement. Not from an occasional single event but to a new theme of life, a new theme to the song of his story, not just to his story, but to all of them. Why? Why? Why not finish the story in the first person like he started? I think, it, I think the answer to the why comes in a realization because he knows that it's not just he who needed to come out of the depths. It's not just he who needed to find forgiveness. It's not just he who needed to wait on the Lord. It was we. All of Israel, oh Israel, all of us, hope 
in the Lord. Because it won't be the last time that someone is in the depths. And it won't be the last time that you or all of us are communally in the depths of woe. Because we're a people whose very relationship with God, the very theme of our song is is that we are people to whom God has shown mercy. He puts it into the song, O Israel, hope in the Lord, because he wants the people of God to know this as their core identity, as their core purpose. The thing that binds them together is not their nationality, even in the Old Testament. It's not their their heritage or their tradition. What binds them together is, is that they are a people individual, that they are a people communally who have been shown kindness who have been shown forgiveness, who have been shown steadfast love, who have been shown plentiful redemption. He said, of all the things that you could think about yourself, don't forget this one, that you are a person whose help has, is on its way. But maybe what's most important about this, this movement, this movement from a single event to a, a new theme. As we watch the psalmist walk through this, and we watch as, as his or her conception of God allows him to be known not just as a good person, but as a person who was in the pit, as a person who has been redeemed, is that we know so much more. Right? The psalmist lived hundreds of years before the man Jesus of Nazareth came to earth. He lived hundreds of years before he found out, before anyone would find out exactly how it was that God will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. For him, he made this movement of, of heart, this movement of, of theme, this, this, this uh, a new understanding of, of himself or herself based upon a reputation of God, based upon what he knew of God's character, how much more, how much more can the theme of his song be our theme when we've seen what God has done? You see, what for the psalmist that God will redeem is for us a theme of that God has redeemed. Because God would not leave his people in the ditch. In fact, the storyline of the Bible, if you believe the story of the Bible, is that God himself came as a human. He entered into the ditch with his people. That he could not just bring temporary relief, or not just so that he could pat them on the back as they wallowed in their failure, but that he could pull them out. And so the man Jesus went into the deepest and the darkest corners of our world and experienced a deepness and a darkness in his death for the sole purpose of redeeming his people, of bringing them out of that darkness, bringing them out of that depth and into himself. If we can look at the history, look at the story of Jesus and see that he has not just entered into that pain, but has ascended out of it, that he has not just felt the sting of death, but has known the victory of resurrected life, how much more can the theme of, of, of people, how much more can our theme of being redeemed be known? And if that's our theme, then 
then we don't have to wait till things get their absolute worst. If that's our theme, we don't have to wait till we hit rock bottom. We don't have to, to wait uh, uh, until the, uh, we don't have to wait until we're at our wit's end or, or, or until we've burned all the bridges of life. If we know who God is, that he is a God who has compassion on his children, who, a God who will answer the call of his children, then we can call the first time our wheel goes over the edge of the road. We can call the first time we, we try putting it in first gear and it doesn't work. We can go to him the first time we, we try a number that fails over and over and over again, we have the opportunity to know God is our Redeemer, and we do not need to delay. Why? Because the psalmist has told us who God is. And that has the ability to transform the entire way that we see our lives. You know, it's funny, as I sat there uh, in the ditch waiting for my dad to arrive, and after, you know, nearly an hour of sitting there just dying for somebody to come help, somebody who would, who would answer my phone call, somebody who would find their way down that small country road in the middle of the night, finally after I had given up and called my, called my dad, a, a truck, a big truck, came driving down the road. And he stopped, saw us in the side of the road, and he, he, tur- he stopped to this truck, and he turned his lights on our circumstance, and he rolled down his window, and he said, hey, do you all need any help? But you see, something had changed in me from the moment I started that journey to the last. See, in the beginning, I was dying for anybody, any stranger, any friend who would keep my secret hidden to, to bail me out of the situation. But when this man finally came and he was there to help, I said, no, I don't need help. My dad is already on his way. I don't need your help. I don't need you to cover up for me. I don't need you to hide my misdeeds because I've called my father. I know my father's on his way, and I know my father will make it right. This morning we sing a song, this morning we read a psalm about a God who takes his people from the depths of woe and he brings them to himself. That is what's available for us each and every time we come to our Lord. So let's do just that. Father, we thank you that you have given us yourself God, in, in, of all the people in the world, of all the, 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 the uh, foremost of all beings on this world, Lord, you have the reason to reject us, the reason to shame us, the reason to send to us packing, and yet you tell us over and over and over again that with you there is forgiveness, that we may be in relationship with you, that with you there is steadfast love and with you there is an unending amount of redemption. Lord, I pray for those of us who have known that redemption to remember it anew this morning. And I pray for all those of us here this morning who have never had such hope, who have never had such, such trust. 
Lord, that you would dare us to consider that maybe, just maybe, that there is hope in this life. Father, we pray that you would redeem your people from all our iniquities. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.